Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Chuck is a 48-year-old male with a lifelong history of intermittent GERD. Three months ago, you started him on pentaprazole, 40 milligrams a day, after his symptoms became more persistent, and the -the over-the-counter medications were no longer being effective. Since he started, he's changed a few of his, quote, bad habits, and he's been feeling great. A few years back, he was on it for about a year and stopped then, as well, after he began to feel better. He saw on social media recently that this class of drug has some bad long-term side effects, and Chuck wants to know, is it safe for him to be on it? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Jillian Joseph, instructor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the UMass Chan Medical School, adjunct faculty in the Department of PA Studies at the MCPHS University, both in Worcester, Massachusetts. Good morning, Jillian. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, I've been worried about chronic use of PPIs as well. Before we get into the details of Chuck's concern, can you talk a little bit about GERD, uh, how we take a general approach to diagnosing and treating it? Yeah, I I feel like I see this all the time in clinic in our family medicine practice. And for the most part, I think patients try to solve this problem on their own, right? So they've most likely tried over-the-counter medications, antacids like Tums or Rolaids, or maybe even a brief course of a proton pump inhibitor like omeprazole or a histamine receptor antagonist like famotidine, both of which are available over-the-counter. But when that doesn't work and they come in to see you, if their symptoms are becoming more bothersome, the first step is to assess the severity of their reflux. So if they have symptoms less than twice a week and they have no evidence for erosive esophagitis, their reflux can be characterized as mild and can be managed by first reviewing lifestyle and dietary modifications. They can take histamine receptor antagonists as needed, along with over-the-counter antacids, but they've probably been doing that already. So when the symptoms become more persistent, you use a step-up approach, starting with the histamine receptor antagonist twice daily, and then you reassess in two weeks. If the symptoms persist after that, switch to a low-dose PPI and reassess in four to eight weeks. The PPI can be discontinued when they've been asymptomatic for eight weeks. When patients present with symptoms that are occurring more than twice a week, or if they're severe in nature, or if they have erosive esophagitis or Barrett's esophagus, you should start with a standard dose of a PPI once daily and reassess in about four weeks. This really is common, and you're absolutely right in how we should approach uh, managing it. I think people often jump to the PPI when an H2 receptor antagonist uh, might work just as well. One of the big concerns I always have about PPIs is sort of what Chuck did. He, he just took himself off it the last time, which was good, but we know that sometimes stopping a PPI abruptly has some side effects. How do we advise Chuck today? 
Yeah, so since he's reached the point where he hasn't had any symptoms for at least eight weeks, he can discontinue the medication. And since he's been on the medication less than six months, he doesn't necessarily need a taper of the PPI. For patients who use PPI more long-term, it's important to taper their dose over time as they're getting ready to stop so you can avoid rebound gastric acid hypersecretion. In these cases, you would want to taper to the lowest dose possible by decreasing the dose about 50% every week. Hopefully, since Chuck has been diligent about his lifestyle changes, it will help reduce his risk for recurrent symptoms. If he does get recurrent symptoms within three months of stopping his treatment, though, we have to look for other causes and complications by ordering an EGD. If recurrence happens more than three months after discontinuation of the treatment, he can resume the treatment that was most effective previously. You know, you, you raised something that I was unaware of, um, that if he hasn't had symptoms for eight weeks and we can discontinue his medication, as long as he hasn't been on it, you know, for more than six months, there's no need for a taper or an H2. I, uh, uh, personal experience, I just stopped a PPI and, oh, I felt horrible. So I, I've just gotten in the habit of, you know what, why don't I give you a prescription for some famotidine? Go ahead and take it every day for the week after you stop the PPI and then, you know, use it as PRN the week after maybe. I didn't realize you could just stop if it's been a short course. All right. So Chuck's doing better. What are the risks of long-term PPIs? Chuck raises a good point. Definitely. And I, I love to have these conversations with patients who are well-informed and keep up to date on, on what's going on out there. And I'm sure you've seen, as I have, that there's been a good amount of discussion around these risks to long-term PPI use recently, especially when comparing it to patients taking histamine receptor antagonists. So a population-based cohort study recently compared patients taking PPI and patients taking the histamine receptor antagonists. The authors identified over 900,000 new PPI users and about 200,000 histamine receptor antagonist users. And using a median five-year follow-up interval, they found that there was a 45% increased risk of developing gastric cancer in those patients taking PPIs compared to those taking the H2 blockers. The risk was increased with cumulative duration of use, cumulative omeprazole equivalents, and the time since starting treatment. So it's pretty significant. Yeah. I actually did the math, and the number needed to harm with five-year use of a PPI is around 2,000, and the 10-year number needed to harm is, is like 1,200. So hopefully you're not on a PPI for, for those lengths of time, but we have lots of people who are on chronic PPIs. So um, what should we do going forward? I mean, these drugs are ubiquitous, and they're available over the counter. Um, how should we be counseling patients and, and thinking about them ourselves? Yeah, I think it's important to remember that they're still the recommended initial treatment for patients with intermittent or mild symptoms not responding to other treatments, or for patients who have more frequent or severe symptoms. You hit the nail on the head there. They're one of those medications that, that gets overlooked when you're reviewing medication lists, and patients may inadvertently stay on PPIs for much longer than is necessary, which will increase their overall risk for gastric cancer. So this publication serves as a good reminder for us primary care providers 
you know, especially since we are commonly tasked with management and follow-up of chronic conditions, GERD being one of them, that we really need to be diligent about assessing duration of therapy and whether the patient can safely discontinue use of the medication in order to reduce their risk in the long term. Uh, there was a paper published last fall about healthcare professionals that used PPIs for more than two years and it increasing the risk of developing diabetes. That, that's close to home. So two great reasons to really limit use of chronic PPIs. Jillian, thank you so much. Thank you. Practice pointer. In patients taking PPIs to manage GERD, consider frequent reassessment of their symptoms to avoid unnecessarily long durations of treatment and reduce their risk of developing gastric cancer. Join us next time when we talk about the current guidelines on introduction of peanut products to infants and young children. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.